0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. St. Paul's words to Timothy in this morning's epistle reading. The epistle is our sermon text today. Paul was a man with a firm grasp on how gracious God truly is. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. God judged Paul faithful. That's quite a statement because as Paul confesses, he was foremost among sinners, chief of sinners. In Acts Chapter 26, verses 9 to 11, Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This guy was relentless. He was trying to get Christians to deny the Lord and he was chasing them into foreign cities to get them to do that, to punish them, to bring them up on charges, capital punishment charges. And then he voted for their deaths. And yet... Even though Paul was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of Christ, as it says in our reading today, our epistle, Jesus, our Lord, judged him faithful and appointed him to his service. This is amazing. We can understand why Paul says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He believes this. He knows this to be true because he is one. This is 1 Timothy 1.15. Dear Christian, the Bible tells you you are a sinner, and the Bible tells you you are forgiven. This is the biblical truth. This is why it's called the gospel. That word gospel means good news. It's good news that you've been saved, that God took on flesh, was incarnate, Jesus, to save you from your sin. And like Paul and every other sinner in this world, he does his saving work for you while you're still opposed to him while you're still at war with him. This is why there is comfort in Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. It's vital for the message of Jesus to be good news, to be gospel. He doesn't wait for you to be a friend. He comes and saves you while you're still his enemy. This is what the church preaches. This is what we preach here at St. Mark's. This is what I preach. The good news that Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners. Yes, we bring the law to bear on the hearts of sinners because as it says in Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it meant to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law is good and holy, and it shows us what we're doing wrong, and it shows us what God would have us do that's right. It shows us we're sinners and that we need a Savior. And the gospel tells us who that Savior is, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We are servants of Christ Jesus, and we are not free to preach the gospel apart from the law. The two always come together. We cannot say, like they were in the Old Testament Testament in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah 6 14, we cannot say peace, peace, where there is no peace. That's lying. And that is breaking which commandment? The eighth commandment from our children's sermon, right? Giving false testimony. We cannot give false testimony. We speak the law and we speak the gospel. If we don't know that we're lawbreakers, then we can't grasp that we need the gospel. When bleeding internally, Charles, say, I mean, I got a a powerful punch and I hit you, gut punched you and you're bleeding internally. That's how powerful my punch is. And Jonas offers you a band-aid. Good friend, right? Thanks for the help. Did he do anything to help your problem? No, because your pastor has a powerful punch and you're bleeding internally. What's the point of the story? Not that your pastor has a powerful punch, but that we need the right medicine for the injury. And that's why we need to know what the law is and how it diagnoses our problem so we know what gospel is. A Band-Aid to an internal bleed is not a gospel, it's not gospel. It's lip service. It's peace, peace, where there is no peace. The good news is that you've been saved from your sin, which means we need to know we're sinners. That you've been hurt by sin, and your sin has hurt others. And Christ is the healer of all these injuries. That you're not trapped in sin because Jesus is your Savior. The law says death is the consequence of our transgressions, our sins. The gospel says that in Christ, you've already died and will rise again just as Jesus did because you've been united to him in baptism. Forgiveness. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of what? Forgiveness of sins. Your sin not hypothetical sins, not ideological sins, concrete sins you've actually committed. You've been forgiven of your sins. Not because you've done anything to deserve grace and mercy. If you have to deserve it, if you have to earn it, if you deserve it, it's not grace. It's earned. That's called wages, Mm -hmm. right? But because of the unprompted love unprompted love of God, you have been forgiven of your sins, purely based on his steadfast faithfulness to you. Non-Christians don't get this. The world just doesn't get this. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Well, that's worldly wisdom. It's true, too, because Christ did pay for the lunch that he gives you, right, on the cross. There is a preconceived notion, a bias in the world that the church just preaches fire and brimstone. That we're all just threatening with hell all the time, la, 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 you're a bad person, blah, 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 all this negative stuff. And this comes from the reality that we haven't buried our heads in the sand and we still call sin a sin. We still recognize the need for a savior. We don't ignore what's been revealed to us by our Father through Scripture. The consequences of sin. Would you say doctors preach, medically speaking, preach fire and brimstone because their work involves delivering unwanted cancer diagnoses to patients? I can't believe that doctor. He's so negative. All he ever does is tell me I have cancer. Yeah, we don't do that, right? No one likes to get that news. And you probably don't wanna hang out with your oncologist all the time. But when he tells you you have cancer, it's good news. When he tells you he can be cured, right? He delivers the uncomfortable and then he delivers the cure. Paul doesn't pretend he isn't the chief of sinners. He acknowledges the reality of sin and the existence of the consequences of his own personal sin in order to say, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Gospel. See, the gospel is not hell. It's heaven in the face of hell. It's not damnation. It's justification over and against damnation. It's the solution to sin, Christ Jesus, for the win. Let's put that on a (laughs) T-shirt. Perhaps you saw the June 16th edition of the Ferndale Enterprise. Linda Stansberry, journalist, wrote an article that she called a protest, not a parade. Fire and brimstone inspire another pride march in Ferndale. Now, if you read it, it's been a few weeks. If you read it, you know that the fire and brimstone referenced in the subtitle is a reference to us. Our sign, my sermons, fire and brimstone. I've been accused of a lot of things. This is the first time I've been accused of fire and brimstone. And I come from a Baptist background, so that's saying something. <laughs> if you go by the definition provided by Cornell Law School's Legal Information Institute, maybe we could talk to our resident lawyer, Ms. Stansberry's article is libel. Because Cornell says libel is a method of defamation expressed by print, writing, pictures, signs, effigies, or any communication embodied in physical form that is injurious to a person's reputation, exposes a person to public hatred, contempt, or ridicule, or injures a person in his or her business or profession. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing we don't care about reputations. Let the world tarnish our name who gives a rip. Our goal is faithfulness to God. It's his name we want glorified. Besides, Jesus told us that we'd be hated because he was hated. So if something is published about me or said about me that exposes a person to public hatred, contempt, and ridicule, praise be to God, I'm experiencing the hatred of Christ. They hate Jesus. I asked Miss Stansbury where she heard the fire and brimstone though, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't preaching it. My email, I said, in my email, I said, In my sermons I use scripture to speak to my congregation about their sins in the context of the world we live in. Do you think the quotes you pulled from my sermons were fair representations of the totality of what I preached in those sermons? Do you think I preached fire and brimstone toward a particular group of people? Or would you say my sermons were written for my congregation's ears in a way that shows them they are sinners in need of repentance like others in the world and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to their sin problem just as it is for the LGBTQ or anyone else? Or upon reflection... Would you say you selected sensational sentences from my sermons to serve a preconceived notion that worked well for an article with a predetermined slant to reinforce particular presuppositions? (laughs) I've yet to receive a reply and I'm not holding my breath. (laughs) Because after all, who cares what the world says? It's what God says that matters. And God says, like Paul, you've been saved from your insolence from your blaspheming and from your persecution of other Christians by your sin. Even you have been saved. That's not fire and brimstone. That's the gospel. God says there is no if then requirement to receive the grace of God. You are not ever threatened with hell to motivate you to turn to Jesus. You are presented with the law so that you can trust in your savior. When Jesus went to the cross, when he died as your substitute, when he sacrificed himself for you, so that you wouldn't die due to the consequence of your sins, but live because of the gift of God, so that you would receive all the the good things that he earned for you, so you'd be forgiven of all your wrongdoing. He did that knowing full well you were a sinner. Not that you had been a sinner. Not that you were a recovering sinner who did a pretty good job of cleaning up your act and so you deserved an attaboy. No, you were, in the moment of him dying for you, a blaspheming sinner and God actively came and saved you from yourself. From you encouraging others to blaspheme God. To turn away from God. He died while you were aiding and abetting the persecution of Christians by supporting those who are super nice guys. Often wonderful people who give great services to this world in their lives and their, what they do, but also just so happen to reject the teachings of Christ Jesus and want others to do the same. There's never gonna be a boogeyman. The devil doesn't show up with a pitchfork and you know, the red tail. He's just a really nice guy. And I can't believe that we would reject him and be be so mean to him. Well, it comes down to what is taught. Jesus or the world? It's not about being nice or not nice. It's about truth. Because of the law, we know our sins. Is God not being nice to you, Judy, when he tells you you're a sinner? Yes, he's being nice to you. It's extremely nice to you. Sorry to put you on the spot. He's being extremely nice to you. He's being like the oncologist announcing to you what it is that you need cured from. And because of the gospel, we turn away from sin and we turn toward God. Give me the chemo. Give me what I need. We turn toward the grace of our Father who's been there the whole time watching for us. It's the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son has his own little thought process going on, process going on, and he decides he's going to go back to the, the father. But then we get this little part of the story that the, the father's been there watching the whole time. And before the son sees him, he sees him way out there, and he just starts running toward him. And the son was going to get this whole plot, this whole plan of what it was going to take just to be able to come back as a servant. And dad says, none of that for you. You're my kid. Don't lie to yourself. You're mine. It's good news. Jesus saved you from your sin, and he called you into his service, like Paul, to be one of his messengers, to speak the gospel to your neighbors. Now, it's July. If you think that means the world is no longer attacking Christ and his church, you're denying the truth, get your head out of the sand, and don't break the Eighth Commandment toward yourself. Satan is still in full march against the gospel. The devil cannot stand the free grace of Jesus Christ. He can't stand it. He doesn't want a single soul to hear that Jesus has already saved him or her before he could do anything about it. Jesus died for the, per- the person in question before they could do anything about it. Satan doesn't want a single prodigal son experience to take place in or around Ferndale. He doesn't want anybody to experience daddy running to him and bringing him back into the house. The devil wants to make us a boogeyman, to to paint us as if we are fire and brimstone. He doesn't want anyone to see that their heavenly father has always taken good care of them and only wants what's good for them. He doesn't want anyone to realize that God is abundantly gracious and saves sinners. Saves me saves you while we are actively working against him that he took a guy like Paul who was participating in the murder of Christians working tirelessly to encourage Christians to blaspheme Christ to reject God to denounce Jesus and while he was doing all of that Christ said that's my guy right there that's the one I want he's mine I forgive him Look at what Paul said as we conclude the sermon in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 17. You can look on your insert or in your Bibles. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 17. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Adopt that for yourself. As far as you're concerned, From your perspective, you're the worst sinner. You are. And Jesus came to die for you. As it says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Our Lord is patient. He loves you endlessly. And so, this conclusion here to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.